Well, it's good to have everyone here today. As we kind of jump in, a couple of weeks ago, um, we kind of had a prelude to what this season would look like, what we would be doing together. And uh, we're journeying. We're calling this uh, series, Let's Be Honest. That's what Lent is all about. An opportunity to be honest before God. And we can do this because of who God is. So I'm excited for you to journey with us during this time. It's going to be a, uh, the one today is we're going to be honest about trusting God. Okay? It's going to be important. I hope that you'll join with us. You can grab a Bible in front of you or however you get your Bible, whether it's electronic, whether it's book binding uh, there, or however you do that, go ahead and, uh, and grab that. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible. Exodus chapter 20. It's really short. We're only doing verses 1 and 2 today. It always reminds me of a time when I heard, uh, when I was in college and I was sitting in a pew right down front with my brother. And the preacher was preaching on the Ten Commandments. And he was just preaching on one of them. And he said this, he said, I would have you to stand, but there's only one verse. Well, my brother was half asleep. And he heard, I would have you stand, which is how preachers used to have people stand. And instantly he popped up. Right as the preacher was saying, but it's only one verse. But he saw the enthusiasm. And so he said, let's all stand. Just, I mean, that just was inspiring. And so we all stood for a couple of verses and sat down. I always remember that. But I won't have you do that, okay? I would have you sit. Let's, let's read this verse. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this message would help us take our next step. Help us to hear your voice. We pray in your name. Amen. I'll never forget the second time I saw Lori Ann Bird for the first time. I, I, know, I know that sounds strange. You heard me right. It's the second time I saw her for the first time. All right? Uh, we, uh, so we met. We dated. Then we didn't date. That's a long story for another message. Lori would be happy to tell you. We were friends. And then, at the end of a chapel service, at the back of Benson Auditorium at Trevecca Nazarene University, we had a conversation. She prayed for me and the difficult situation that I was going through, and I saw her for the second first time. The other times we spent together were fun, friendly, engaging, flirty, good. They were fun. We were young and just enjoying getting to know one another. I mean, look at that. Isn't that great? Uh-huh. I know. I'm with you. <laughs> there was a lot of freedom to be together. Or not to be together. But that second first time that I saw her, something was different. 
Of course, I still found her attractive and funny and intelligent and witty and exciting. But this time, I knew that I wanted to be committed to her and I wanted her to be committed to me. But wait, I I mean, that, that just throws us nowadays. Commitment to each other means obligations, right? I mean, there are requirements and demands. But did anything inherently shift because I wanted those demands? Was I still in love? Of course I was. And I was quickly hoping that she was too. With me. Not somebody else. But there are natural demands and obligations to any good, serious, committed, life-giving relationship. Grace and demands have to be balanced for any relationship to work. So why are we so often afraid of God's obligations? Like we find here in the Ten Commandments. I find that interesting. Oh, there's another picture of the young, happy couple. Look, I kind of had hair. We all experience this truth of the balance of grace and demand in all of our lives. We walk this two-way street all the time, and it's really a good street to be on. Your friendships require attention, time, listening, vulnerability at a certain level, and in return, there is freedom to be known and accepted. You have someone to be with you in all the things that you both enjoy, right? You go to ball games or movies or races or to the gym with that person or a conversation partner, uh, someone who helps you move your furniture and use their truck, you know, and and they would do the same for you would do the same for them if, if you were asked and if you had a truck. But the freedom and the obligations are balanced. And if you learn about this life-giving thing that's called friendship while you hold the two in tension. In marriage, and look, there's the happy couple. We did commit. (laughs) Isn't that great? 22 years ago, we committed. In marriage, you promise. You obligate yourself to love, honor, cherish, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, and to forsake all others until death parts you. And you receive a lot of freedom. You are known, you are loved and accepted at a deep, deep level. You are free to, to be really free. Like, we'll use the biblical phrase, naked and unashamed. You know? like good freedom you have a companion in life and through the good times and bad times this relationship requires a lot of grace going from both people and it has some demands with it too this tension teaches us about marriage and life and the goodness of god found in the other that is life-giving at work you agree obligation to do the work and uh and the company, and the company uh, what the company needs, and they give you the grace of a paycheck, right? And they obligate themselves to pay you regularly, and they receive the work that they believe you can do best for their company, right? So this, in some ways, goes both ways. At, at school, you agree, this is your obligation, to do the work and pay the tuition. Can I get an amen from the student loan holders? That's right. And they agree to give you the knowledge to accomplish what you would like to do with your life. 
And the school agrees to teach you how to access that information and offer ways for you to learn what you need to know. This is a life-giving experience, right? We call it education. Many countries run this way. We agree to abide by the laws and pay our taxes, right? April 15th's coming. And they promise to give us the freedoms to live, right? Security, employment, transportation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are a lot of things we could, we could file under that one. But again, it's that tension of grace and demand. We get freedom and we have demand. There is freedom and there are ways that we maintain that freedom. So again, I ask, if this is such a natural part of human beings and human society, why is it so hard for us to read or to live by things like the Ten Commandments? Could it be that they are actually something that will teach us by holding the tension between freedom and obligation? The grace and the demand. The freedom and the law. I believe that this is something that God understands and placed into us at the very fabric of the way things are. I mean, if we spent a few weeks ago, we were talking about Genesis and and we see this dynamic already at play right at the very beginning. Uh, He planted a garden. He he created everything. Then he planted a garden and then put the human beings in the garden and said, you can eat from any tree, right? That's grace, right? That's free. It was all there. It was good for you to eat, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? There's the obligation. There's the demand. You have all this freedom, but you have to maintain that. And part of that is right in here. It's right from the very beginning. When we get to today's passage in Exodus 20, God speaks to Moses and to the children of Israel, the Hebrews, after he has dramatically delivered them from centuries of slavery by leading them out with miracles and signs and wonders. I hope you know that story. If not, I'm sure they're going to play the Ten Commandments on television sometime between now and uh, and Easter. They usually do. Check it out. Centuries of slavery. He leads them out with miracles and wonders that finished with the dramatic splitting of the Red Sea and the swallowing up of the king of Egypt's army. A ragtag bunch of slaves defeats the superpower of the day through God's dramatic rescue. That is freedom, right? They are set free. So God says to Moses, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. There's our pattern again, right? I mean, I am Yahweh. I have given you freedom. That's grace. If you want to learn how to live and stay as free people, you need to participate in these actions. That's the demand. The two are held in tension, and in doing so, they taught the children of Israel and can teach you and me today about how to live in true freedom. Here we have Yahweh, the God who heard the cries of the Hebrews and delivered them in dramatic fashion. Now Yahweh wants them to remain free people. There is no therefore between the statement of freedom and the first commandment. Of course, it seems applied, but the truth is in the demands are th- uh, the truth is that the demands are there so that we can live in and out of the grace or the freedom that Yahweh has just granted them completely free and not anything that they have done for themselves. And this is why we cannot divorce verse two from verse three. 
It's one of my biggest complaints when I see the Ten Commandments hanging somewhere and, and we just start with, you shall have no other gods before me. What God are you talking about? It's important that you know that. Everything hinges upon knowing who the God is that you should have no other gods before. You cannot divorce them. If you ask any Jew who has memorized the Ten Commandments to recite them, they will start with verse 2. I am Yahweh, the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Don't let anything be on par or even begin to rival me. That's the first commandment. All of it together. We have to know the God that they are talking about, that we should have no rivals to. If someone did that for your family, set you free like that, you would probably want to maintain that relationship, wouldn't you? And you would probably try to struggle to maintain the freedom that they had given you. So why did the Hebrews have such a struggle with this grace demand tension? I believe it's the same reason why you struggle with that tension, why I struggle with that tension why we struggle with this tension together, even as a church and also as a society. We have this struggle. Here it is. Here's why. I think we don't trust that God is really that interested in our freedom. So we end up as functional atheists. We say we believe in the God of the Bible, but by our actions we prove that there are many other little g gods that we place alongside of God to just make sure our bases are covered. You know? Yeah, God's good. You know, that's, that's, that's awesome. We should, we should do that. But, you know, I got, I got all these other things too that just to make sure everything's covered, all right? And it'll be okay. I go to church on Sunday. It's good, right? I, I mean, ow, it's like, that kind of hurts. I know. So hang in there. This season of Lent is specifically set aside to allow God to be honest with us. Gently, here's more tension, Gently and yet brutally honest with where our trust truly lies. We have to look in this mirror. You shall have no other gods other than Yahweh, the life-giving, life-creating, exodus-making, freedom-giving God that Jesus called Father. I believe there's a flow to the commandments, and we're going to see this over the next few weeks. But it has to start with the tension of these two between grace and demand, or freedom given and freedom maintained. The rest of the commandments are going to expose all of the little gods we put our trust in, like images, using God's name for our own purpose, work, usefulness, power, desire, and possessions. They are all the little gods that if you and I are honest, we place, our, we place on par or alongside the God we see revealed in Jesus. It's true. You should know, though, before you get too down in the dumps, you're in good company, all right? We're in good company together. I mean, after the dramatic plagues, after all the rescue, seeing the Red Sea split in two, walking through on dry ground, being cared for in the wilderness, they finally get to the mountain. Moses goes up for just a little bit while he's talking with God and receiving the commandments. And, and Israel starts worshiping a golden calf within 40 days. So I always laugh when people said, man, if only I could go back into the Bible times, I would so believe that stuff. No, you wouldn't. They didn't. You'd, we'd all end up right there, you know. It's a struggle. This, this shows that this takes time. This is something that God 
uh, thankfully, is patient and merciful with us. Because we need to see that this takes a long time. There's a journey to go on. We must travel this road if we want to maintain the freedom that God has granted to anyone who will listen, anyone who will turn towards this God and enter into this lifestyle that leads to true freedom. Looking in the mirror is hard work, but the one who holds up the mirror is more concerned about your freedom than maybe you are. So are you ready for this journey? You'll need some food and drink for the trip. Good thing we have some today. Can you imagine what life would be like if we all committed to this journey? The journey of discovering the God who sets us free. Allowing this God to expose the little gods so we could turn and truly embrace a life of freedom. A journey that helps us know that the demands were given by grace itself. By grace itself, by love embodied. And this lifestyle will restore the connections that were broken in the garden that we talked about a few weeks ago. Connections to the earth, to living things, to other humans, and yes, to God. Jews today still see the Ten Commandments as the path to the good life. Because they were given by the one who out of love and grace gave them unearned freedom from Egypt. That's the God we're looking for. So church, we're called to this journey. You and I, together, we are called to this journey. I don't know what's wrong with my microphone today. We must take this road. We must embrace it no matter what. God is for us. God wants us to know what true freedom feels like, looks like, tastes like. We can't settle for worshiping God on Sunday and then running to the little gods of slavery Monday through Saturday. In fact, that's the very definition of functional atheism. So come with us. Make the journey to the desert. Commit today to have no other gods before you but the one God who gives us freedom and grace and hope and love and bread and cup for this life-giving journey. There will be some tension there. But we will learn what it means to be fully human. Are we willing to give God the second first look? Are you ready? We may just find that we want to be more committed to living in the freedom, even with the demands. Will you look for a second first time? To take this look means you do have to turn around. The biblical word for that is repentance. Will you? God has everything set for your journey. All you have to do is turn. Look and receive. Sounds like a, a good journey, right? It is hard. I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't mince words. But there is a joy in the tension between the two, between the freedom and the freedom maintained. And so today, I'm going to invite anyone who would like to to come forward and receive what you need for the journey. Any hike requires some good nutrition, right? This walk of faith requires some bread and some cup. And that's why Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, said, you're going to need this. So he took bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And later on he said, yeah, you'll need, you'll need You'll need some drink for the journey. Come and drink. 
This is my blood shed for you. That's how committed God is to you taking your next step. To go to the cross. To show the extent of His love. Willing to endure the shame.